This is a podcast examining the lives and drives of creative thinkers. People who've turned their dreams into their career. Writers, directors, actors and public speakers, artists and musicians, fellow podcasters, and more. How does creativity work? And how can it pay the bills? This is Created By. Welcome back, everybody. I'm your host, Aaron Milas. Thanks for joining me for episode eight. This week, I have the pleasure of sitting down with an actress and comedian you might recognize from such shows as Me, Myself, and I, Bajillion Dollar Properties, and Sci-Fi's upcoming show, Resident Alien, the hilarious and always charming Mandel Mon. I'm an actress in Hollywood, but I was born and raised in San Diego in this uh, little area called Point Loma, which a lot of people there refer to as Little Portugal. So both my parents are Portuguese and my great-grandparents came over um, from Portugal and along with several Portuguese people and started the tuna fishing industry in San Diego down there. That was pretty big for a while. Now they don't fish out of the ports in San Diego anymore. They fish in other places, but my grandfathers were fishermen. My dad's a fisherman. And I mean, I tell people this all the time when they ask about me because it really defined who I am, but I grew up really immersed in my culture, like in this area where it was all Portuguese people eating Portuguese food, celebrating being Portuguese. So I very much identified myself as a Portuguese person. And then it wasn't until I got, like high school, we had less Portuguese people. But then when I got to college, I realized like, oh, this is weird. There's not as many Portuguese people as I thought around around the world. <laughs> so I grew up there, went to school at University of Arizona for college, got my BFA in acting there, loved it, was in a sorority, Gamma Phi Beta, not ashamed. And that's <laughs> truthful. <laughs> uh, and then I immediately moved to LA. Was Hollywood always a dream for you? Was that always the, the goal? Being on stage was always the goal. I was in a traveling choir when I was young and part of high school, which was amazing because it gave me this opportunity when we sang at the Met, we went all over the East Coast, then we went to Germany, Amsterdam. So I, I was able to travel because of this choir. And then I wanted to do musical theater, I thought. And then I went to go see U of A. I heard about the acting program because actually Arizona does have a pretty exceptional acting program and it's really hard to get into. Thank God I didn't realize how hard it was to get into when I first auditioned because I'm sure I would have been so much more nervous and blown it. But I just was like, whatever, just walking up to do this monologue, like it's fine. And so I got into the acting program there. And then shortly after realized once you get in, that doesn't mean you stay in. You have Hmm. to audition every year and they cut people every year. Wow. Which is such a risk because you could get to like your junior year, have done all the courses to get a BFA mm-hmm. and then be cut then, you know, and have to probably get, yeah, a lot of pressure. I think I actually auditioned for the musical theater department and they were like, no, we're just going to put you in the acting department, which hurt at the time. And then when I heard the other singers, I was like, that was probably the best choice. Like <laughs> they're really good. <laughs> Well, how do you characterize the difference between uh, a live performance and a uh, performance for a TV show, for example? That might be a pretty obvious question. or uh... It's not because, well, we have multicam, which is kind of a live experience in itself, and then single cam. So the biggest difference is between stage and single cam. There's a rush with on stage, the fact that you have a different audience every night. You have no idea how they're going to react to it. Mm-hmm. When you're on TV and film, oh my gosh, you wish you had months of rehearsal. 
because the things you could come up with in that amount of time, that I love about stage and wish you got that kind of time for TV and film. Like whenever I read a character, uh, what was that movie that came out with 1912? Uh, 1917. Yeah. Okay. So close. <laughs> they rehearsed like six months beforehand and mm-hmm. they needed to because of the shot they did. But I think most actors would agree with me that you get a little envious of like, I hope I book a job where I get to rehearse and like prep for that long. But that's interesting to me because if you enjoy improv, I mean, improv is a very short-lived performance window. Yes. And I think TV, especially like single cam TV, in my imagination would be probably the least amount of time you get to spend on any one line just because of the time budget. I mean, I'm assuming. You probably get a little more time on single cam than you do a multi-cam because multi-cam Yes, you run through it during the week before you tape, but the script's always changing. And then when you're doing it on that night, you only have so many hours to film the whole episode. Mm -hmm. With single cam, you're spending all week filming an episode. So you do get arguably a a tiny bit more time. But I hear what you're saying because (laughs) maybe that sounds, because I do improv, but I like the idea of rehearsing for something. Maybe that's because I do do improv. So it's like the sound of something opposite sounds amazing. Well, no, I mean, I think that's just an interesting, I mean, that suggests to me that there's different parts of performance that appeal to you. And, and I'm just kind of interested in that, I think. It's just like the short-lived energy of the not knowing and the spontaneity of improv versus getting to really sink your teeth into something and to digest a character and inhabit that role for a long period of time. Like in a perfect world, you would just get to do both, right? Absolutely. And I, the reason I started improv is because it's against my personality. My personality is to prep, plan, know everything ahead of time. So I started doing improv to keep me sharp and to also kind of get nerves out because I couldn't prepare anything. I didn't know what I was going to do. I had to walk on stage, you know, not knowing the outcome and I ended up loving it. And it's still something I do to keep sharp, but I would say towards my core, I would probably like the whole rehearsal process because that's just who I am inside. And it just seems like preparing something so much, Mm -hmm. like you know, like just getting every detail down is like a dream. Is there something you wish more directors knew about actors? That's a good question. So when I go into an audition or set or job, whatever, I have an idea of a performance I could do. And then there's always this one version I have that I think is going to be hilarious, but it's probably crazy and I probably can't do. And sometimes I'll have a director that's like, you know what, do whatever you want now, which is like, the greatest thing you can hear a director say. You're like, oh, of course. I mean, I'll just come up with something. I don't know. I mean, I had no idea what I was going to think of doing, so sure. And then that take is like hysterical. And sometimes they don't use it and sometimes they do. But I wish I got permission more because there's a lot of times that I walk off of set and I think I should have just done it. And I hate, and every actor hates walking away with regret. So I wish personally for me so that I didn't have to work on this myself. I wish directors would just like give you the permission. As much as I'm ballsy with my friends, I wish in that kind of professional setting, I was more ballsy. Well, also I would imagine that there is a practical element of budget for a project. It's mm-hmm. like you can't just play indefinitely. So you do need to make sure you get what they need. Right. Like you try to got to get the, the quote unquote safe versions out so that they you know have coverage. But like that doesn't always leave you time to play and do whatever you want. And, um, and there is always a small risk that you could get fired. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> Truly. I mean, yeah. yeah, I think you worry about that. You're constantly worried because it's not like when you get the job for acting that that's it. There's so many other places where you can lose it some that are out of your control. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think 
you never know on that last takes what's going to come out. It might be insane, but you might be like, okay, I loved part of that. Let's do a mixed version of something. You were on The Young and the Restless. Yes, I was. Tell me about that. <laughs> Probably mistakenly. That was one of my first jobs. And I remember when I auditioned for that, like I didn't have the mindset yet, you should audition for the show. Like I wasn't thinking I should make this performance maybe like a dramatic soap opera performance. I was just thinking, oh, I could make this character really funny and I did. Hmm. And she did not fit in the soap opera world by any means. But for whatever reason, this casting director was like, you know what? I kind of like this. Like, I'm going to take a risk. Like, let's just do it. You know, this is funny. I did two episodes. I stuck out like a sore thumb. I did not, <laughs> like, the, I can't remember who, like, one of the major actors on the show at the time, I can't remember who it was, was like, that was different. Like, look at you. That was, but like, a very, like, get the F off my show. But, like, I think about it now, I'd probably be horrified to watch that performance. And now I feel like someone's going to pull it up for sure. But I remember thinking, like, I feel like people are going to really notice me after this. No one did. <laughs> but I definitely didn't have the mindset. Like, here's the thing when you become an actor in LA, it's not just about acting. Then you have to like learn the business, like learn yeah. how to audition. I didn't know how to audition yet. I just thought this will be really funny. So that's what I'm going to do. How does the, the basic production element of a soap opera differ from other things you've worked on? Oh, it's crazy. I mean, they are such hard workers. First of all, the director's like up in a booth and he's giving you notes over a microphone and the notes are so minimal because they're shooting like 50 pages a day. Man. I mean, I commend them for how much they memorize and so quickly, but they're just like spitting it out. Hmm. And it's, it's crazy. It's an insane job. They are very hard workers for sure. Did you always find yourself drawn to comedy? Yes, but I didn't realize it at first. I come from a very funny family, so I was surrounded by that. I was also surrounded by, and this is not to seem sad or anything, but a family that dealt with trauma with humor. Hmm. And I actually am very grateful for that because I think it's helped me survive a lot of things. Sure, yeah. But most comedians, it, you know, if they're honest with you, will tell you that part of their humor comes from maybe not one traumatic experience, but some type of challenges in their life. And that's kind of how the humor comes out. Mm -hmm. So I think I was somewhat naturally inclined to find the joke in something. And when I first got out to LA, I remember studying with a particular teacher and she's, I was studying comedy with her. And at one point she was like, you should leave. <laughs> like, d this is too much technique for you. Like, huh. she's like, you, you can teach comedy technique, but if someone has the natural inclination, sometimes the technique can mess you up. Interesting. Because you're focusing on the technique instead of what naturally your head's telling you is funny in there. And it was because I'm such a, you know, wanted to be an A student. I was trying to follow the technique so precisely. But really, I just needed to let that go and do naturally what I felt because that inclination was already there for me. Are you interested in doing drama in the same capacity or is it just? Yes, I love doing drama. I would love to be doing more drama. I think people just were more excited about that I could do comedy. when I, That's the reaction I got at first and still now. And I don't know why that is, but it just seems like casting directors, producers, writers, they were more excited about my comedy. Now, most of them will say, oh, if you can do comedy, we know you can do drama. Hmm. And I think that's true because of what I believe in that. I think comedy comes from 
some type of hardship. I know that sounds really negative and sad, but I really do. I think that's actually like a general rule that if like comedy comes from a dark place in a way, it's like a defense mechanism. Yeah. So I think that if comedians are able, I don't think all comedians can do this. And I don't even know if I can do this fully, but I think if you're able to go to that dark place where it came from and open that up, you can be a really good dramatic actor. I mean, look Mm -hmm. at people like Robin Williams, Philip Seymour Hoffman, like, you know, they were hilarious and also excellent at drama. Well, tell me a little bit about who inspired you. Like, what were some of the performances that stuck out to you and made you want to aim for that? Well, first of all, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is like a huge hero of mine. And I loved her comedy because she was really sarcastic and and dry. And I think because you know me personally, you know I'm like that. Hello. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, but someone else, and this is such a weird performance, but I always think about it. Uh, did you ever see the movie uh, Along Came Polly? Yes. Yeah, okay. So Philip Seymour Hoffman, I think, in that movie is genius. And he's one of my favorite actors. Um, but it's because he's like, it's such a crazy character. But somehow it's totally believable with him. And I remember my brother and I watching that movie for the first time and having to like rewind it because there were so many genius lines in there that I can tell were improvised. Do you remember the moment when he walks onto the dance floor and immediately falls, like falls yes, flat on the Yes, of course I remember like, that moment. <laughs> I, I rewound that and watched it like 50 times. <laughs> I laughed just thinking about it. That is one of the yeah. best moments ever. It's so good. His confidence in that character, like it's the character's confidence is so amazing. I love it so much. Are you ready to do a lightning round? Okay. I have to tell you, I'm so stressed about this. Like <laughs> lightning round, this is so stressful. So ah. we're going to do it, but like, it's going to like, just know that you're like slightly giving me a panic attack, even talking about it. I don't know if I'm <laughs> going to be able to answer everything. This is like my worst nightmare. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Texting or talking? Texting. Tacos or pizza? Oh, tacos. Sweet or savory? How dare you? Both. And I refuse to choose. (laughs) Wow, okay. (laughs) Are you a morning person or a night person? Morning. You know what? I'm not an afternoon person. That's my nap time. Please don't call me. I love an afternoon nap. Let me (laughs) tell you right now. What is your favorite snack? Chips. You have a kind of chip? No, all chips. All chips? Yeah. That's fair. Do you have a desert island movie? What does that mean? Like, if you could only watch one movie for the rest of your life, what would it be? Rudy. Rudy? Yeah. Anytime I'm feeling, like, down, I watch that movie, I cry every time I watch it. It's such a beautiful story. (laughs) My brother, like, makes fun of me. (laughs) Can you juggle? No. (laughs) Why why would you ask? (laughs) Why would I learn that? (laughs) Action or drama? Action. Is Baby Yoda cute? Adorable. Looks like my dog. You know that. Looks like Bella. (laughs) How many spritzes of perfume is appropriate? Uh, Two or three. Two. More more like two. I think I probably already know the answer to this one, but would you rather ask for permission or forgiveness? Ask for permission. Sadly. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever believe in Santa Claus? Yes. At what age did you learn the horrible truth? Well, I had an older brother who was insistent on ruining my life. So probably early, maybe six. Young trauma. Okay. (laughs) On a scale of one to 10, how good of a dancer are you? Okay. I feel like I just kind of recently realized this during Corona, but I'm kind of a 10. Like I, I, you know, when I'm sitting at home by myself and we haven't been able to leave the house for three days and I put on music to dance just for sanity. I'm like, I feel like maybe I'm 
kind of great at this. Kind of crushing it. Yeah, like, like I'm yeah. kind of crushing. Like, should I be on TikTok? Like, I don't know. I'm still thinking about it, but 10. If you could time travel, where and when would you go? Can I time travel and change something? Or can I just time travel and see that place and go back to normal? Oh, man. I mean, I guess it depends on what movie we're in. Uh, I know. You know what? I'm just interested. What is your gut answer? Like, I want to know what you would do. It doesn't matter what the rules are. Okay, if I could change something, I'd definitely go back to my younger self and like tell them all sorts of things and give them all sorts of advice. But if I could just time travel, I mean, I'd probably like try to figure out how I could go back and meet Robin Williams. Is Stranger Things overrated? No, but you know who's in that show. Rudy. Yes, and he, oh. And I cried so hard when he died. I'm still <laughs> broken over that. And finally, what is the nerdiest thing about you? Gosh, there's a lot of nerdy things about me. I cry a lot, like at things that, not things that are sad, like things that I think are really sweet. Like, you know, like an old man dancing to like some song. <laughs> you know, like anything on Instagram like that, I'll cry. That's nerdy. And, and I'm really loving. So like if there's a moment to really share how much I adore someone, but it's like not an appropriate moment because we're at a party just having fun and I want to like get deep and talk about something. People are like, okay, that's- Read the room. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so you played Victoria King on Bajillion Dollar Properties, on which yes. you were hilarious. Thank you. And obviously, <laughs> improvisation is a very big part of that show. Yes. How do you get in the mindset of improv? And uh, are there days when you just feel off? Yes, of course. So improv for that show, getting the mindset for that show is a little different than stage because you're playing one character on that show. You're not just doing various scenes with various characters. And the show would give us an outline of where they wanted maybe the scene to go, but then we would just improvise for hours. I mean, our editors were gods on that show. I don't know how they figured it out. And then our one-on-ones, when you see us talking to the camera. All the talking heads. Yeah, 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 the talking heads. The writers would write the talking heads afterwards to be able to make these scenes into a plot line and kind mm -hmm. of put them together. And some of the scenes we would shoot, like during season one, we ended up using in season four because mm -hmm. it just went with the plot line of season four. Wow. Improvising as Victoria King was different because I was always in character as her. I've had other actors in different press stuff we've done ask me how I did that. And I always said point of view. Because I had such specific storylines about her with her relationship to her father, her mother being not in her life and all this stuff, that was how I was able to respond to every situation. How I reacted to other women, how I reacted to some of the men in the office. I was able to do that because I had such a specific point of view about Victoria. And I, and I think that was important in doing a show like that. And I think the other actors would stay the same. I think, I mean, it's such an interesting thing for, for writers, for actors, for directors to understand character. Like, what are the questions or like, how do you build a character? Like, what's important for you to understand about a character before you know them? So the um, bajillion was a little different because we had a little more freedom than I've had on other shows. But for me, it's, what do they do as a job? Where did they grow up? What's their family life like? And how has that impacted them? What are their pet peeves? Because I think people's pet peeves come out in everyday life all the time. And do they show that? Like Victoria would have shown that and told you it was her pet peeves at any time. But some other characters maybe are, are people pleasers and they're never going to show that. So 
it's not that I create this whole past, but I just try to think of like, what were the major moments that define this person? So when you're doing like, let's say pilot season and you have all these auditions, you don't have the luxury of like being able to spend hours and hours on each audition and like coming up with this full character, but you still have like a character bank, you know, that you could pull from. <laughs> Does that make yeah, sense? Archetypes. Of like, yeah. And that are parts of you. Cause you always want to bring a part of you to it. Just like Victoria was ballsy in some situations, that's definitely a side of me. But when she was a people pleaser in other situations, when she was around her father, that's definitely a side of me too. Hmm. I just would exaggerate it for her. I'm not as evil as Victoria. (laughs) (laughs) You are currently in Resident Alien with Alan Tudyk, yes? Yes, so Tell me about that. That's really, that's first of all, it's very exciting. Cannot wait to see it. I know, it should have been out already. We would have already been showing the finale, but had to stop because of... COVID. So we still have an episode and a half to shoot for the rest of this season. We're still, everybody's in talks, figuring out how long I have to be in quarantine once I get to Canada, all that stuff. So (laughs) it's kind of crazy. Tell me about the the project. Like, can you give me some details on on what your character is? And Yes. So Alan Tudyk plays this alien that's undercover as the town doctor. He's there because his ship crashed there and he wants to kill all of humanity. But Alan Tudyk is so funny, he's so brilliant, that he's able to make this like terrible person so charming and weird that you're Mm -hmm. like rooting for this guy. You know, I mean, it's a dark comedy. So Chris Sheridan, the writer and creator, is brilliant as well because that's how he writes it. But I think only Alan Tudyk could have done this. He's so likable in everything he's in. In everything, but so weird. Like Mm -hmm. he's just so weird too. Mm So he's in this town. Nobody knows he's an alien. I am working with the government to find him. I don't work for the government. They've hired me to come in and I'm part of a team. I'm the muscle of the team. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like there to take him down once we find him. My partner is doing all the research. And then later on, we have Linda Hamilton come in. I mean, I know. That's awesome. So she becomes part of the team as well. So for the first part, when I was filming the first episodes, I didn't get to see Alan because, or really most of the the cast, because our storyline was opposite. We were still looking for them. We were still looking for the town and looking for him. And then we get to do some scenes later, but it's, it was a really fun show. I got to do stunts and you know, that's like all I want to do ever because (laughs) I study I study Krav Maga and I just want to do it in every show. And I did a little bit of me, myself and I as a joke, but I got to do actual stunts in this. And I hope I get to do more when we go back. But yeah, so she doesn't really follow the rules. She'll like take someone down before asking any questions. You know, me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm excited to see it. Um, But as I understand it, your part was expanded, correct? Like it was a smaller part to begin with? Well, they had said maybe five episodes. Alex Brima, who plays my partner, we had great chemistry and I think it just was working and Chris really liked us. So now for season one, I think I'm in eight or nine episodes and there's 10 total. That's awesome. Yeah. And we'll see about season two. I can't give anything away, but we'll see about that. But I'm in more of the show as we go. Well, what draws you to a project? Like what, what's something you look for in, in new jobs that you take on? Sometimes you get an audition where you think, well, of course I'm going to audition for this, but like, even you know, you're not right for it. Hmm. But then sometimes you get an audition where you're like, I can do this in my sleep. Victoria, I could do in my sleep. Even me, myself and I, I could do in my sleep. There's been a couple characters that I was like, this is so natural to me. And those are so exciting because when you feel that confident about it, 
and you feel that, that comfortable doing it, you know there's such an opportunity for even more creativity because you're not having to work as hard to just be that character. And so you're like, oh my God, this is gonna be so much fun on set because my brain's gonna be free to make so many other creative choices because I don't even have to think to do this character. Kind of like part of you goes on autopilot and right. you get to utilize the other toys that you haven't gotten to yet. Yeah. And you're like, oh my gosh, I, I just know the mannerisms of this person. And like, it's just, it's, it's exciting. What is the weirdest part of being an actor? I think the weirdest part for non-actors to understand is why the hell would we subject ourselves to this? Like to the constant rejection and just the scrutiny and lack of stability and the lack of control. Because as you know, sometimes you can be the best one and never get the job. In fact, mm -hmm. that happens a lot of the time, most of the time. There's really fun aspects to it and there's really difficult aspects to it, which is why anytime someone's like, I want to be an actor, what's your advice? I'm like, don't do it. That's my advice. <laughs> like, because if I can tell them that and they decide not to do it, they never would have survived anyway. Hmm. But if I can tell them that and they're like, screw you, I'm doing it anyways, then they might have a chance. That's their first rejection. You know, yeah. they got to mm -hmm. get used to that flavor. Get used to it. Yeah. In the light of that constant rejection and scrutiny and like the uphill battle and like the lack of stability, like in spite of all those things, you still pursue it. And so do a lot of other people. And ultimately, like, why? What does it mean to you right. to be able to do this? I'm sure this is like the answer you'll get from everybody. And this really just is the truth. It's just loving it so much because I would have made a really great lawyer. I probably should have gone to law school <laughs> at this point. Maybe I would have paid off and be like making a good amount of money on my own home. Things would be like good really well. But there's just this kind of rush, this fulfillment, this like fire inside of you when you finally can get past the bullshit of auditioning and trying to get the job, when you finally have the job, and especially when you have a long-term job where you're like, okay, now I have the freedom. The thrill that comes from that, like when I'm working, I could care less about anything else that's going on. You know, my friends can text me about the biggest party or what, I mean, obviously if there's an emergency, I'll text them back. <laughs> but truly when I'm working, like I, I don't care about anything else that's all I just want to be like my managers will try to talk to me about things I'm like I'm on set I can't talk to you right now like, I, I don't even care about the next job which as a good actor you should mm -hmm. but I don't all I want to do is like be there immersed in the project like on set enjoying whether it's a day or five months that I get to be there and it's just so thrilling and nothing else in life that I have found has given me that type of thrill or fulfillment like acting does I mean, I say I'd be a great lawyer, but after like a month, I'd be like, I'm done with this character. Like this is, I'm <laughs> bored with this now, you know? Like, I mean, so it's like anything, that's why actors would probably be really good at something for like two months and then they would lose interest. Mm -hmm. For sure, I don't know if I could do anything else. But if you think about it, actors are thrill seekers. They're like people that jump off cliffs, you know? Like we'll go through all the pain and suffering to get that like one hour of thrill, <laughs> you know, that is acting for us. It's worth it. Prior to recording this episode, Mandel told me she felt a hint of pressure in coming on this show, to have some earth-shaking insight or some kind of wisdom bomb to drop on us. And for all I know, she left the interview feeling the same. But 
Whether she realized it or not, Mandel embodies a key trait that I think is probably one of the most vital traits any creative can have. And her worry was, in a way, the perfect example of it. It's noteworthy to me that Mandel excels at improvisation when she'd really rather practice. That she still fights for auditions when the odds are stacked against her. That she still records a podcast even if she feels a little anxious. Mandel adapts. Whether it's comfortable or easy or if it comes naturally to her or not, she faces the challenge and isn't so rigid that a few bumps can shake her. So many times I've avoided a challenge thinking it's out of my wheelhouse or it's above my skill level or worse, I gave up on a challenge because it was too far outside my comfort zone. My perception of myself and my abilities was so firmly set that I was only ever good enough for projects that fit that mold exactly. Adaptability isn't about being spineless, and it doesn't mean you don't have standards. It means not sweating the small stuff. It means not saying no for the wrong reason. It means being flexible and vulnerable and brave. It means you are on stage, and audience is waiting. It's do or die, and you have to improvise. This podcast and its music are mixed and composed by me, Aaron Milas. Be sure to leave a rating and review and reach out on Instagram. It's at created by podcast. I want to hear about your projects, your goals, your questions, comments, ideas. Mostly, I just want to hear from you. What motivates you? What dreams are you chasing? Next week, I sit down with film producer Marcus Cox of Through Films. We talk about producer roles, screenwriting, and getting your movie made. It's a great episode. In the meantime, I'm Aaron Milas. Thanks for tuning in.